I kind of like national anthems. That's kind of a random way to start a talk, isn't it? Rick is a national anthem specialist. He has traveled around the world to play the New Zealand. Seriously, it's amazing. Three national anthems that strike me are the Canadian one, the American one, and the British one. And it, it seems that even the music, along with the lyrics of the national anthems, tell something about the culture. So the, um, the Canadian national anthem, you know, it starts, oh, Canada, it's almost tentative, right? Like Canadians are tentative. The American national anthem starts with a bombastic, oh, say, can, right? And the British national anthem is properly legal. God save our gracious queen. You will not read too far in Enneagram literature until you have someone quip that uh, the Star Spangled Banner should have the lyrics shifted a little bit. So rather than... Um, Oh, say does that star-spangled banner yet wave over the land of the free and the home of the brave? They will say over the land of the three and the home of the brave. Three is the type of the Enneagram we're looking at. The numbers don't matter a whole lot, but absolutely it is true that the American culture is the culture of success, the need to succeed. Now, I want to just review again why we're doing this. Um, it, it has sort of dawned on me this week that in, this is really like the other aspects of, of natural revelation that I've talked about before. That the Enneagram seems to be the nine flavors of human personality. They are what God has given us. Um, uh, the uh, first song that we sang had a line in it, Unveil Why We're Made. And in a way, if we understand that the human personality was given to us by God, um, and as we unveil the aspects of our personality, we can discover why we were made. Now, the problem that we face with the Enneagram is that um, not only do those nine needs show up, but each of those nine needs has also been marred by our sinfulness. So that's what we're reckoning with in, in the way that Susan's talked about the ups and the downs of, of Jacob's personality and the way that those are similar for us as well. So let me quickly review. There's the need to be perfect that we've seen. There's the need to be needed. Today, there's the need to succeed. Next week, we'll see the need to be special, the need to perceive, the need to be secure, the need to avoid pain, the need to be against, and the need to avoid um, I've shown you this complicated little diagram just to assure you that I'm doing some reading on this matter. And again, as we, um, as we think about how to, how to interpret all this, and the Enneagram is very, very ancient. Um, no one is really quite sure where it began. And it is probably, if, if you were to search on Google or YouTube uh, Enneagram, it'll just you will just get hit after hit after hit, and very interesting talks, um, very interesting literature that has been written. But if we will frame it like this, um, that God has invested in us um, the ways that he wants to use us, 
sin has marred the ways that we live into those personalities. And then we might be able to discern that there is one that is pretty much the cabin we live in. And that's not easy to do. I, I've gone around and there have been three candidates. I think I've settled on what I am, but by the time I, we get done this, I'll probably say, no, I've got four candidates. And, and that's quite all right. Um, because if all of this is sort of a holistic view of human characteristics, we can also expect it in the life of Jesus that he really exemplified the best of all of these. And so for any of us just trying to explain how the human personality works, just being able to identify certain traits, uh, whether they're in us or in people we know, or just ways that we think we might like to move towards one or more of the Enneagram types. So as, as I said last week, there is one that we live in um, that we might call our cabin. Uh, and today we're talking about the cabin number three. And cabin number three has two neighbors. Its neighbors are number two and number four. So typically you will be uh, a need-to-succeed person with either one or the other what they call wings. So as you imagine whether or not this is you, um, if, you also, if you say, yes, I, I think I need to succeed, and I really feel strongly about the need to be needed, I like that. Or you're actually kind of intrigued and say, honestly, I think I maybe need to be special as well. And so whichever one of those it is that kind of strikes your fancy, you might like to explore that, and each one brings its strength. So uh, your cabin is where you live, and you can go to one of the two neighbors beside you, and you can also go to the outhouse, or you can go to the orchard. And again, that's the best way that I've seen it sort of described. And the outhouse and the orchard are characterized by types 6 and type 9. And the way the arrow goes, um, if, if you would like to sort of imagine it, the, the arrow that points away is you sort of going like this. So, so when I'm not doing well, this is what I'm like. The arrow coming towards you is this. You're saying, yeah, that, that's when I'm feeling comfortable, safe, and all the rest. So in this one, the one that is the safe one for the three is to be secure. Uh, and the one that is to be sort of shunned by the three is the need to avoid, um, which is basically um, in the case of the person who needs to succeed, it is the desire um, to avoid the conflict and confrontation that my true nature has engendered. And we don't need to say a whole lot about that, just to, to make note of it. As we think this morning about this need to be needed, um, we go back to the story of the Bible. And it, in, in the narrative of the Bible, it's fascinating how much space is given to the story of Jacob. I mean, it just stretches through a great part of the book of Genesis. You know, and so apart from the life of Jesus and maybe the accounts of Paul, uh, we might not find anything that is told in such detail as the story of Jacob. And when we read anything in the Bible, we, we ask ourselves the question, well, why is this in the Bible? And today we might ask, why is there so much of the Old Testament story centered on Jacob? Why is he so important? 
And then another secondary question would be that we ask, what does the historian want us to know? What are some of the nuances in the way that the story of Jacob is told that sort of give the narrative's um, plan away? And we say, hmm, he keeps on or she keeps on saying this thing or this way in the story of Jacob. And why are we supposed to learn about that? What is it supposed to mean? So when we look at the, the place for authority, for how we understand ourselves, our relationships, uh, our spirituality, um, we don't go to the Enneagram first. We go to the Bible because the Bible has the authority to speak um, deliberately into our lives. So we don't have to wonder if it's a true story or not. We don't have to wonder if it's an important way or not. Um, but the Bible also gives us the opportunity to see in full color um, the lives and the events of the story of religion, the story of the, of the Jewish people, and then the story of the church. Let us see what uh, the narrator seems to be pointing out about the story of Jacob, and I'm going to hitchhike with um, Susan on this. So here's how it all began, this, this story of the, the great conflict between the two brothers. Um, in Genesis chapter 27, he said, your brother came deceitfully and has taken away your blessing. Then he said, is he not rightly named Jacob? For he has supplanted me these two times. He took away my birthright, and behold, now he has taken away my blessing. So this is us catching up to where Susan began with them. And the two things that belong properly to Esau, that Jacob stole from his brother Esau. Um, Jacob was called the supplanter, or the trickster. And when we look at what the narrator is wanting to point out to us, we will obviously very quickly latch on to that. Um, that, that the way the story is described is by the sort of the, the propensity for deceit that seems to have been resonant within Jacob. So again, what are the good things? What are the bad things? What are the ways that sin has marked the, the need? Uh, in this um, narrative, as we follow what the, the writer wants us to understand, um, we hear him quickly say, yeah, it, it, there's a lot of deceit. There's a lot of trickery in this story. There's a lot of the person who shouldn't succeed the way he does succeed, succeeds. If you get all those succeeds, you're in good shape. As the story goes on, and it goes on over years, because when when Jacob is is sort of, you know, identified as as having tricked his brother out of the two um, godly blessings, the, the two marks of being in, in Israel society, um, then Esau is furious, of course, um, and, and he wants to come after Jacob. He, he, he figures he's going to have Jacob's life um, before the day is over. And so Jacob is terrified, and he, he, he just, he leaves, uh, and we, we get into the story of how he goes to his uncle's house and how he marries there and how he became prosperous there. But again, in, in the narrative, um, as he was running away, traveling, we're told this, he had a dream. And behold, a ladder was set on the earth with its top reaching to heaven. I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac, the land on which you lie. 
I will give it to you and to your descendants. Now, he's running for his life. Um, he has done despicable things. And we're wondering how, how God is, is look, looking on this sort of set of events and, and what he's going to do about it. And one, one of the things that will hopefully come home you know, fairly deliberately for us is that succeeding is not because of our ability or um, our, you know, our propensity to, to win, to, to, to get. And, um, in behind it all, it's almost as though God is saying, Jacob, Jacob, why are you doing all of this? Because I'm already planning to bless you. And, and the way that God works in the narrative, the way that God works in, in this, you know, bad-ordered set of events is that God is actually using it, um, as he does in all of our lives, to, to put, shed light on the very important lessons about the way he is and the way he relates to us. So Esau was the, the one who deserved the blessing, but Jacob was the one who was going to get it. Now, God is not saying to Jacob, good for you, Jacob, you outsmarted me. He, he's, he's really saying in behind all of this, I am blessing you anyway. I am for you anyway. Because the economy of my dealings is always the opposite to what you would think. So the first will be last, the last will be first. The greatest will be the, the least. The least will be the greatest. All of those things. And so in God's great narrative, God's meta-narrative in the Bible, um, God wants us to learn that it's not the order that humanly makes sense to us that is the order he will bless. He, he will usually do the rest. Um, so here, as, as Jacob is you know, cooling his heels as he's running away, God meets him. And gives him this vision of this ladder going up from earth into heaven. And he says, Jacob, just slow down a little while, will you? Here's what I intend to do. I'm going to bless you. And Jacob may be looking and thinking to himself, I didn't think God would want to bless me because what I did. And my mom told me to, so leave me alone, right? What I did was despicable. I, I'm, you know, a candidate for the character in Despicable Me. That would be me. Well, as things go on, um, he goes to his uncle's house, and there are two daughters. There is Leah and there is Rachel. And he, he loves Rachel, and he is willing to do all that is necessary to succeed in his relationship with Rachel. So he, he works seven years for the hand of Rachel in marriage. And then, in a twist of events, and once again, the narrator kind of tells us um, in between the lines what he's wanting us to learn in this story. It says, so it came about in the morning that, behold, it was Leah. <laughs> I, I don't know what happened. Well, and I don't know how different they were, but Leah apparently was, was hard of sight or was looked somewhat different than Rachel. And... and Jacob thought he was marrying Rachel until the next morning when he woke up and rolled over. And lo and behold, it was Leah. So 
he said to his uncle Laban, what is this that you have done to me? Was it not for Rachel that I served with you? Why then have you deceived me? And the writer's saying, did you get that? The deceiver is now deceived. Um, in, in the Enneagram literature, the, the, the great sin of the succeeder is deceit. And not only the ability to deceit, or to deceive others, but to be riddled with self-deception. Um, not really getting what it is. Having a blind spot. And it's in the matter of, of real truth. Um, go a, bit, a little bit farther into the, the story. As he continues, he, he, he now agrees to work another seven years to get Rachel's hand in marriage. Um, he's now been married to Leah and will be married to Rachel and then have to work for that afterwards. And he, he, he becomes a very successful farmer. Um, I, I don't know what all was required, but he, he was canny in the way that he did this. I, I read the, the narrative, and I could, I could hardly understand what it was he was doing. It was something about animal husbandry and something about sticks and spots and stripes and all that kind of stuff, right, Susan? And the, the, the upshot of it is that he is wildly successful as a farmer because he's just a succeeder. Um, here he succeeds in a normal scheme of things, except that even there he, he uses some sort of trickery um, to fool his uncle into saying, yeah, you can have this part of the flocks and I'll be happy to have this part of the flocks. Didn't really matter because the blessing of God was on his work and, and they both did exceedingly well. Um, but we're told when the flock was feeble, he did not put them in. So the feebler were Laban's and the stronger Jacob's. And Jacob deceived Laban, the Aramean, by not telling him uh, that he was fleeing. So Jacob is, is, is going to flee with his, his wives and grandchildren. He figures he should run for his life from his uncle Laban because he has been tricked by his uncle, but now he has also tricked his uncle back. So with the, the spotted and, and striped sheep and all of that, and, and having worked everything to his own advantage, he's sure that Laban's going to have his skin for it. So he's, he's going to flee. And Laban says, what are you, you going to do? Why are you going to flee? Um, and the, the storyteller tells us that Jacob deceived Laban by not telling him that he was fleeing. Then Laban said to Jacob, What have you done by deceiving me and carrying away my daughters like captives of the sword? Why did you flee secretly and deceive me and did not tell me? Um, you, you know, when Laban catches him, he says, have, have I not been good to you? Okay, I know there was a thing about the wrong daughter, but apart from that, have we not been getting along well? Why did you deceive me? Why did you not tell me? As they proceed, um, Jacob realizes that, that someday he has to actually face his brother Esau. 
And so as, as he's fleeing from um, Laban ostensibly and, and figuring out what he's going to do when, when Esau catches him or Esau catches him or when they, they meet up, um, he, he again has an encounter with God. And so Jacob wrestles with God. Um, he, he has heard that Esau is coming and he has 400 men. So the need to succeed haunted by not getting what it is that people think of you or how it is people will deal with you, assuming um, that you're probably on some people's sort of hate list because you've been successful and um, without question you, you have been less than noble in the way that you've succeeded. Well, Esau is certainly the one who, who would be bloodthirsty after his brother's life. So Jacob is terrified when he learns that, that Esau is coming after him. And he's told with 400 men. And he, and he, th- he thinks, okay, that's it. I knew this day would, would come. And once again, um, God encounters him and, and he says to him, yeah, you are a rotter, you are a rascal. No, he, he just says, Jacob... Here's what I want you to know. Your name will no longer be Jacob. Jacob means trickster, deceiver. But Israel, which means prince. And we're told that the reason God gave him that name is that he had wrestled or he had struggled with men and with God. He, that that was his legacy, that he was a, a person who, who lived his life with enormous conflict. He struggled with God as well as people. And God says, you've prevailed. And so here's the blessing. I've already told you that I'm going to make a great nation of you. I've already told you that I'm going to bless you. But now I'm even going to give you a new name. Will that be enough for you, Jacob? Um, I think Jacob is saying, yeah, yeah, kind of, but he's looking over his shoulder. He's saying, yeah, but when Esau catches me, how much will this matter? Um, Jacob says, okay, if Esau is coming, um, I'm going to have to appease him somehow or other. And, and he had, a, he had a, a plan about how to you know, keep everybody protected with what he presumes is this ensuing battle that will come with Esau. And, and so he sends these sort of forays to Esau with gifts, with livestock and all that. And he's, he's just trying to soften Esau up. He, he's trying to say, look, uh, I know I did the bad thing, but I've been very, very successful, and I want you to share in my success. Uh, all the while we just see that Jacob has, has a massive blind spot um, he's blind to the fact that God already has his blessing upon him and is promising um, his you know, great blessing for generations to come. He's presuming that Esau wants to kill him. And um, he's presuming that if, if Laban really had his way, um, he'd get his pound of flesh as well. The thing that the type three need to succeed characters can't understand is that the success of what they have done 
is not the mark of who they are. It's, it's not what Jacob accomplished that impressed God or would impress Esau. Um, when, when we get to the fact, or get to the time that, that Esau catches up to him, it, it's a shocking piece of the story because it simply says this, then Esau ran to meet him and embraced him and fell on his neck and kissed him and they wept. Um, what did Jacob expect? He expected vengeance. Jacob did not read other people very well. And he thought that his um, esteem, his, his persona, was simply the sum total of the things that he had done. Um, for those who are motivated towards success, um, they can very often have a difficult time believing that they are loved for anything other than what they do. What I do is who I am. Therefore, if you are pleased with me, it undoubtedly must be because of what I have done. Um, the, the, the big struggle that Jacob had was his own self-deceit. He didn't understand himself. He certainly didn't understand God and the way God would deal with him. He didn't understand how other people would deal with him. The only thing that he do, could do was say, yeah, but look at what I have done. Surely I'm worthwhile then, right? It's not what you do that makes you a meaningful person. It's not what you do that causes God to bless you. I had a doctor who um, was a very good friend of mine. Um, he, all, he, he would tell me the truth about me, so that makes him a good friend. He would always schedule, I, I, I came to discover that he always scheduled our appointments either before lunch or as the last appointment in the day because it meant he wanted to talk longer than the whatever 10, 15 minutes that OHIP would pay for. One day he looked at me and said, Ian, when you're not being a pastor, what are you? Who are you? And it confounded me. It, yeah, it's a plain question, and I knew what he was asking. But he also had that ability to look into your soul. So as he asked the question, he looked into my soul. And I don't even remember what I said to him, but I do remember that I just, I just really fixated on that question. Um, he, he followed it up by saying, and... Um, if you keep being a pastor the way you're being a pastor, you won't be a pastor very long. And that was also pretty ominous. And I said, is that your medical opinion? He said, yes. I've come and gone into the need to succeed through my life. Um, I think lots of us have. Um, throughout my life, now as I look back, I realize that I, I was looking through my childhood and through my um, my youth and my adulthood for the approval of other people on the basis of what I did. Um, it was always very hard for me to understand that people loved me for who I was. And being a pastor actually makes you fairly prey to that because you can just do things for people and you're not ever really sure that they love you for you. You, you realize that many times they just love you for the services you can render. I went on a sick leave for a while and got one phone call from a person in the church. 
And I thought, that's interesting. Um, only one person wanted to know how I was. Uh, when I was a boy, um, th there were ways that, that this worked out in me. My dad had been a great rugby player, so I thought if I was a great rugby player, he would love me. I, I, I don't remember struggling that my parents didn't love me, but I somehow still had the strong sense that they would love me if I would be a good rugby player and various other things that I would be good at. So by the time we got to Canada, um, I was the, the captain of the junior rugby team and I played on the senior rugby team with people two years older than me. And I remember going home and telling my parents that I'd now been um, you know, recruited for the senior rugby team that was gonna be playing on these two seven-a-side parts of our, our rugby program. And I remember that my mom just sort of looked at me and said, so? That was the end of it. And I thought, well, so? I'm a good person then, right? I'm a worthwhile person then, right? Um, I did want to succeed at everything that I did. I wanted to have the largest Baptist church. I wanted to be the chair of this committee. I wanted to be, back even when I was in grammar school in Ireland, I wanted to be the forum captain, and I was. I was, I was, I was. Um, but for long periods of my life, I have struggled with believing that I was loved. Um, I was appreciated, I was valued, I was trusted, um, I succeeded. And this is the dilemma of the person who has a need to succeed. While that need to succeed is very laudable in so many of its applications, um, it, it's also the Achilles heel that says, and what if I don't succeed at that thing? What if I don't do that well? What if I'm not good enough? then will people still appreciate me? Um, the Enneagram doesn't put me in a box, but it helps me get out. And the journey that I have been on has been a journey to, to discover that in fact, I am deeply and thoroughly loved by God. Um, and sometimes it comes in waves where I have a sense of it. Sometimes it comes intellectually where I, I think it through and, and grasp it. Um, but the moments in my Christian life that have been, have been stellar have been the times when I felt as though God was saying to me, I love you. I've told you about Brandon Manning and uh, one talk that he gave, and he finished the talk by saying, um, your father is very fond of you, or your Abba is very fond of you. His writings have been really helpful to me to understand that, that that's what it's about. Your Abba is really fond of you. I think if, if Jacob had the ability to get beyond the deceit of succeeding at others' expense and had been able to open his heart and ears to God, God would have said to him from the very get-go, I know you've got plans with your mom to fool your brother, I know you've got plans with your future employer to get back at him when he gets at you. I know you have plans in your relationship with your brother to cover your tracks and to pay him off and to appease him. I know all those things, but what you need to know is that I'm going to bless you because I want to bless you. I'm going to love you because I love you. Your Abba 
Jacob is very fond of you. So you don't need to go to the outhouse of um, the sort of helpless peacemaking that Jacob was in, intending with, with Esau. If, if, if I could just pay him off, maybe he'll, 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 he'll let, let it be. Um, just come back into the person that you are and enjoy succeeding with the full understanding that even that it's not enough to make God love you more. Um, you couldn't even make God love you less. So go for it. See what you can accomplish. Succeed when success is in your path. But all the while, understand that your Abba is very fond of you. He loves you for who you are, not for what you do. <laughs>